0: So there you have it. That's why it's up here. Uh, you know, I'm keeping track on, and it's even bigger, so I can see even how much farther I've gotten over time. So you can uh, praise God for that, if you will. Oh, well, Mark, uh, excuse me. First uh, Peter chapter five, and uh, we'll be there this week. I uh, also just want to let you know that uh, August has kind of been one of those transitionary months. You know, we plan our sermons about a year in advance or we try our best, but we we have actually made uh, this month a little bit different. So we will be starting back in the book of Mark in two weeks. That will be Labor Day Sunday. Some of you will be traveling, and that's fine. Uh, but we especially welcome you to join us back in Mark chapter 9 as we start. Ne- this week we're going to finish up the Biblical Leadership Mark of a Healthy Church, part 2. And then next week we will be looking at Assembly Required, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. We've had some questions about this. What does it mean to assemble together? And We're going to look at that as a church, so I think it's very important that we do. So you're in First Peter chapter 5, and we'll be going there and uh, in just a moment. Well, there's a story told by a, a famous Christian author named Stuart Briscoe, and he tells a story about a young pastor who officiated a veteran's funeral, veteran being a, a member of the armed services, and the deceased man's military friends wished to have a part within the service itself. So they requested the pastor lead them to the casket, stand with them for a moment of silence and prayer, and then lead them through the side door. Well, the result was, as, as many young pastors know, didn't quite go the way they expected it to go. The result was they marched with military precision right into a broom closet that looks just like this. Oops. The door got locked, and they were locked in there during the whole funeral, and they could not find the pastor at all. And this apparently happened on a true story, as it was. And they had to make a hasty retreat to cover the confusion as it came down. Well, two things you can draw from that story, I think, that are very easy to understand, and that is that if you're going to lead, you need to make sure you know where you are going, right? Husbands, amen, we know this. Trust your wives, trust that woman in the car. She knows where she's going. Likewise, if you're going to follow, you need to make sure you are following someone who knows what he's doing or she is doing at that point. And that really is, if you were here last week or if this is your second week, Uh, whatever with us, that that is the message that we are looking at with biblical leadership. Oftentimes churches have well good intentions to go this way and they end up right into the broom closet when God wants them to walk out into the front of the funeral parlor, so to speak and good leadership requires that if you're going to lead you know where you're going if you're going to follow you make sure to follow someone who's going to lead well this is why proverbs 21 verse 5 as you'll see on the screen says good planning and hard lead, hard work rather lead to prosperity but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Proverbs 21 and verse 5. And this is why Paul and Peter and the apostles are hammering on this issue of church leadership, because they know as the churches go, as the leadership go, the churches go. As the, as the churches go, so goes the witness for Jesus Christ. And these are things that he wants to connect with them. And you're going to see in 1 Peter 5 that he's going to connect this passage of Scripture with a so, a therefore, if you will, that connects us back to a previous section of chapter 4. And after teaching the church how to suffer as Christians, Peter is now issuing an urgent call to follow their leader. I hated that game as a kid, didn't you? Follow the leader? If you weren't in the lead, you were like, man, I'm just going to do my own thing. Or Simon says, I hated that game too because you just want to do your own thing. But at the end of the day, the Bible says this is what we have to do. The church needs faithful pastors if it is to live and witness in a hostile environment. But we don't face the same persecution they do, pastor. We're not dying for our faith in America. But we live in the midst of growing hostility to Christianity, some of which we've seen in the last week on our own property. And this will open up. And for this reason, Peter says, look, if you're going to live in this world, you need to make sure you're going in the right direction. So the church needs faithful pastors to live and witness this out to lead churches. So to what end will we be talking about this in our church? And if we're a a Baptist church or a congregation, to what limits does that have with pastors leading the church? And what are the responsibilities of both sides? We'll get there. And, guys, I just want to speak this on a personal note. I under, This is one of those things that, as a pastor, you, like, if you're sitting in the pew, I would be thinking, at least I thought this, that you would be thinking, well, he's preaching on his job description. How how kind of, like, self-centered, selfish is that, right? It's awkward for me, too. Let me say that. But this is the Word of God, amen? And this is what we are called to follow and, and, and to learn together to do And so it is, in a sense, preaching a pastoral job description. But if this is what I'm to do, you need to know this as well, because if I'm going to lead you well, or hopefully many pastors will lead us well, then we need to know what that description is, right? If the quarterback decides he wants to be a wide receiver, and the wide receiver says he wants to be a guard, and the running back wants to be a kicker, the Chiefs are going to be pretty bad this year. They're going to be bad anyway, but you get the point. There it is. So the big idea today I want you to see is that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And according to Scripture, he exercises his authority through a plurality, through multiple godly men. Ladies, let me just step aside and say, if you were here last week, this is not at all diminishing the role of women within the church. If anything, if men are leading as they ought to, women are elevated to the degree the culture will never match them at. I let you know that. The church is not a one-man show built around one personality. Jesus is preeminent in all things, Colossians 18. And the New Testament model is for many pastors to model and share the leadership within a church. In a few isolated instances, this word elders or pastors is plural, not singular. Or is, is singular, not plural. But the local church as a whole is led by multiple pastors. Where do you get that? Do you realize that the Bible speaks more about multiple pastors leading the church than it does the Lord's Supper, if you were to count the verses? Isn't that crazy? But yet we tend to gravitate to the Lord's Supper, rightfully so, an ordinance of the church, but let this slide by the wayside. So what does this mean for us? It means whether we are having a hard time as a church or an easy time as a church, the people of God need qualified leaders to lead them in the right way. I don't want to live in the broom closet. I want to live where God wants us to live, right? And the church is important to God because Jesus died for her. Tina, thank you for picking these songs that pointed back to that fact this morning. And he cares so much, Jesus does, for each member of the congregation by providing godly leaders who nurture a gospel culture throughout the church. And this is what's always been expected through the New Testament. So four things this morning from 1 Peter 5, quickly as we go through them. First, we're going to look at the nature. So this may be a little rehashed, but different. The nature of biblical eldership. Remember, a pastor's an elder, an elder's a pastor, same word. But also the duty. What are, what are we called to do? The practice of biblical eldership and the reward of biblical eldership. Darren, I'm not a pastor. Why does this relate to you? It relates to you because you are a member of this church, many of you. And I would pray just as much as we give voice to things in the political arena, we would give even more attention and detail to the things of the house of God, even more so. Because we got an election coming up in two more years, believe it or not. Just cut your TV bill right now because you're not going to miss anything as you go. But I want you to remember the greatest gift God gave us is the church. The church is God's plan A. With respect, it's not FCA, it's not uh, the Navigators, it's not those outside parachurch organizations. The local church is the greatest gift outside Jesus Christ God left for us here on this earth. Sounds funny, doesn't it? That's because American culture has taught you otherwise, but the Bible says it is God's plan A. With that in mind, will you join me in standing as we read this morning, uh, from First Peter, chapter five verses one through four. First Peter, chapter five, verses one through four, authored by Peter the Apostle, as he writes these words inspired by God. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. He says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God has given you, or gave you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, verse 4, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And likewise, you, verse 5, who are younger, be subject to the elders. That word elders in verse 5 is, is talking about older people. The verse in verse 1 is talking about the church office. And that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. We join me as we pray before God as we do. Lord, as we come to put the plumbing in, so to speak, about why we do and why we do not do things at Tower View and hopefully every gospel-preaching church around the world, Lord, would you give us great humility, great wisdom? Would, would you let me get out of the way, and would you let your word speak? It's, it, Father, that is our prayer. May your Son receive glory. May Father, may you be praised. May the Spirit bear witness to our spirit that we are the sons of God by the, the hearing and doing and living out of your word. Father, this is not, um, this is not uh, attractive stuff to the world because we're talking about authority. It's not attractive, Lord, because it is something totally countercultural, even to cultures that have gone thousands of years before us. But, Lord, it is biblical. So, Lord, how let that seep in our minds this morning not to do anything but bring you praise. Lord, it's all about you, not about us. Thank you for these dear saints. Thank you for visitors. Thank you for regular attenders and members here this morning and kiddos and everyone on up. We thank you for the littlest up to our oldest. It's all by your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, I'm going to have Amy go ahead. Uh, Amy, I think there's a couple summary slides from last week, and uh, we will do our best to get through as much as we can. If we don't, we'll send it out over email as we can. But last week, we looked at just varying passages of Scripture, and if you were not here with us, I just want to remind you of these truths and why they relate to us as a church. The first is is that we saw that the terms overseer, bishop, and elder are really the same three words that describe the same office, a pastor is what it is. We said that the New Testament secondly never mentions a church with only one pastor. And this is so important to you because as you know from from history, one leader in one spot over a long time with all the power that comes with that can easily do what Peter says is not to do here in the passages we just read. And so thirdly, a pastor is not a CEO. Praise God for that. I don't even, I would never, you know, CEOs get paid like, uh, I don't know, more than even ballplayers make sometimes. I would not want their pressure. Phone going off all the time. I mean, come on. You get what you pay for. And those guys are getting that money all the time, but they get the responsibility. But a pastor is not a CEO. He's not the head of the church. Jesus is, and the pastor is his under-shepherd, his, 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 his local uh, called person to, to do that. We saw on the next slide that deacons are separate from pastors. Deacons are separate from pastors. And again, we'll get this out over email if you're taking notes, so don't. we're going to rush through some of this. But deacons serve under the oversight of pastors and teachers. Deacons are, are, are men called by God that God has raised up to serve. We have several here. We have Richard. We have, uh, golly, I'm forgetting them already, Brian, Steve. We have John. We have Jim. And we've had Lauren and Dawn in years past. But these are men that God has, and Pete, these are men that God has raised up for us to serve the church, the physical needs of the church. And what they do is deacons relieve the physical needs of the church so that the pastor elders can focus more on the spiritual needs. I gave the example last week. Does that mean that as pastor I'll never clean the toilet? Well, we all, we all sometimes got to do certain things. But, and, and sometimes that has happened here during the week when you're not here because it just needed to be done. But generally speaking, pastors are spiritual-seeking and doing that work while deacons focus on the physical. Although there's some overlap, that is generally what it is. The biggest difference, though, and Amy will put this up on the screen, between a deacon and a pastor-elder is that 1 Timothy 3 told us that a pastor-elder has to have the gift of teaching. Not blabbing, not pounding the pulpit, but the gift of teaching so you understand the Word of God. That is the difference. And we challenged you last week, I pray. I pray the word of God challenged you that this is the order. Deacons should not be running the church. Deacons should not be running the church. They should be serving the church. Pastors should be leading the charge as the spiritual authority in there. And that sounds funny. We're not Presbyterian. We're not Catholic. We're not those things. But as a church, we are given charge as pastors to lead you spiritually. If we don't lead you spiritually, Let's just pack up and go home right now, amen, as we do. So I want you to notice with that summary, go back to 1 Peter, and we're going to look at, the, again, a little bit different angle, but chapter 5, verse 1, the nature of biblical eldership. The nature of biblical eldership. Notice what verse 1 tells us. Peter writing here, he says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, to as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. So Peter's addressing the church. Peter's an apostle, right? He's a guy that has seen the, the resurrected Jesus. And yet Peter kind of steps down from his authority as he writes to these scattered people throughout all of the known world at that time to call himself an elder. What is an elder? Does that mean an old fuddy-duddy, like doting grandfather type that's like, "Hey, you want a piece of candy? Take it." You know, is that what we're talking about? No, the, the the word can refer to older men, but it's referring specifically to the pastors of the church. He, he, Peter's really saying, pastors, I exhort you as a pastor with you, do these things. And as we said, there's elders and there's deacons. Elders serve by leading and deacons lead by serving. And so what he tells them to do is to do the following things. But the first thing I want you to note here is that elders are considered and I'm going to bring this up again for sake of this. Please hear my heart in this. Elders are considered only in the Bible, pastors are considered only in the Bible to be males. Whew. Sound bite that, right? Let's go share it a thousand times in the internet. Yes, I'm the narrow-minded, bigoted Southern Baptist pastor who just said that. You got it. I know. But this is what the Word of God says. The term elder literally refers to older men in the office of that. When it's used in the church office, it's referring to spiritual maturity. But there is a lot of controversy about this today. I I went to William Jewell. This was a big fight there with conservative versus liberal thought. But the burden of proof falls on those who claim that God allows women to be pastors. Ladies, please hear me again clearly. You are not second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. You are wholly created to do exactly what God created you to do. You are to lead in certain areas. But as it comes to the church, it is a male office only. And finding, as you'll see on the screen, biblical evidence for women pastor elders is like looking for a black cat in a dark room that's not really there. Cats are on my mind this week because we may be getting a cat, so we'll see how that goes. So that was the phrase that came through, all right? That's why that's on my mind. But biblically, it's true. 1 Timothy 2.15 says, Paul writing to Timothy, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain silent. Well, Pastor, what does that mean? I don't have time to flesh that out. That will be coming in, I believe, November when we get back to that. But the binding injunction does not mean women or men cannot teach or lead in the church. It means women in ministry may not serve in pastoral roles. Men and women are one in Christ, but the Lord has reserved the leadership of the church to be among men themselves. Ladies, and we have failed you in that time and time again. I praise God for many godly ladies who have led when men have not led. Or if men have led, they've led chauvinistically, they've led domineeringly, they've led pridefully but God's word says that elders pastors elders are to be male. Secondly, if you notice the verse here, it says they're to be godly. You do you notice that here? The term elder literally refers to an older man and he he calls on them to be a witness to the sufferings of Christ. These are people who 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 remember the gospel. They lead because of what Christ has done for them. They want to lead to show others what Christ is doing. But church leaders don't have to be old. I'm not old. Well, I was telling Meg beforehand, 35 next year seems like the downhill slide, right? Meg's like, oh, she gave me that look, right? So it is what it is. But 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul reminded Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. What we are saying is that these leaders, these pastors we call, must be of and above reproach. And you can read the whole list in 1 Timothy 3. I don't have time this morning, but the point is this. if As we choose pastor leaders of this church, we don't choose a pastor because he has a winning personality. We choose him because he has godly character. Do you see that difference? There is a pastor, and I'm not going to name him, but I will just say there's a church that he's a part of. His muscles are bigger than his theology. Let me just tell that. He leads a church out in Charlotte, North Carolina. He has a beard, and he's woo, he's gone from super preaching the gospel to prosperity gospel. And his per, he is all about personality, let me tell you. If you know who he is, you know exactly who I'm referring to. And he is all about personality. If I can say the right thing, do the right thing, have the right stage of then people will think I'm a godly pastor. Friends, that is so far from biblical truth. A pastor should have godly character, be able to teach even before he is considered to be the life of a leader. That's why when we pray about our youth pastoring and our music leadership, that we're not looking for who's prettiest on a resume page. We're looking for who has character to carry our church into the areas of leadership deeper and wider as we reach Grace Moore and Maple Park for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, elders are plural. You'll notice that here as it comes up. Elders are plural. Did you notice that? He didn't say, so I exhort you, pastor, singular. He tells them it's plural. There's multiple pastors leading. Peter addressed them. It doesn't revolve around one man. There's not a CEO. But the word elder is plural. It's not singular. There are times in the Scripture where there's referred to as one pastor. Uh, 1 Timothy 5.19, it says, Do not amend a charge against an elder or pastor except with two or three witnesses. And 2 John 1 and 3 John 1, John identifies himself as the elder, the pastor. But every other reference in the New Testament to the leadership of the church is in multiple men, godly men, male men leading the church. The New Testament teaches and models and assumes a plurality of pastors leading a local church. So why don't we do it? I don't know. You know, some have speculated that I, I, Natalie and I watched a western last night, a modern day western where they found the, this Indian tribe that was uncontacted. It was pretty cool if you want it. It's a lot of fun. But you know, as the west grew and we, we Americans took over the west, there was the thought that they were planting churches so quickly they didn't have time to get other pastors involved. So they just put one guy in the spot. And that's probably true. But guys, today we're not winning the west or whatever that was. We, we have plenty of opportunity within our churches to raise up people. You know, someday I'm not going to be here. Someday I'm going to be so excited when the Chiefs finally win that Super Bowl, I'm just going to pass out and die of a heart attack. Amen? But one thing I know is you're going to be looking for my replacement someday. I don't plan to go anywhere. As long as the Lord has me here, I want to do a faithful job. But my prayer would be that someday we don't have to look to the outside, that we have enough godly men within the inside to say, you know what, why don't you lead us? Why don't you spiritually lead us as we need to be led? It's not bad that we look to the outside. Please hear me clearly, but may our church, may you pray that we raise up godly men to lead our church spiritually as God would have us be led. So that is what the nature of biblical eldership is. And friends, no one is trying to exalt himself above another. Is it okay if you had a senior pastor and other pastors with him? Sure, but they're all equal at the foot of the cross, but yet someone will lead that group as they are, equal among equals. That's number one. Second thing I want you to see about the biblical health, about leadership, is the duty. What do these guys do all day? What do pastors do? They make bad theological jokes, probably really bad sermon illustrations, definitely. We're trying to improve their sermons, yes, absolutely, every week. But what is the duty of pastors? Why is this important to you? Because, you know, if you went to your heart surgeon and he said, you know what, where would you get your degree from? Yeah, I went to Vatterrock College. What did you get your degree in? I got it in mechanical computer engineering. And you say, are you a doctor? No, I went to Vaterot. You would want them to say MU Med, KU Med, UMKC, whatever else. You would be very surprised if that were the case, would you not? Or if you went to your mechanic and said, have you ever worked on cars before? No, but I slept at a Holiday Inn last night. You would think that a little bit goofy, right? So why would we expect anything else less than our pastors? Let's see what the Scripture says. Look at verse 2. As he remembers, as they remember the sufferings of Christ, the coming of Christ, and their leading of the flock, verse 1, now the duties. What are they called to do? First, pastors are called to shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God. It tells you that very clearly. It says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That is not shepherding the the flock that you hope to have. That's not shepherding the flock that this other church does. That's not shepherding the flock that you heard about some podcast guy talking about. That is loving you where you are and you loving me where we are, but not being okay to stay there, but growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So many pastors see this position up here as a way to get to the next and greatest thing. If I just preach it well here, if I get a resume bullet, hey, we grew this much this year. I preached a sermon this year. We reached this people there. Then when that church that's a little bigger opens up, I can send my resume into them and they're going to be like, "Wow." Friends, I pray we never wow but anything but Jesus Christ at our church. Amen. Our church is not here to be a stepping stone for anybody. It's here to be a stepping stone to reach the world and grow the saints. That's what it's about. Where would the flock be if the sheep led the shepherd or if every sheep was given his or her own way? Can you imagine that? Parents at home, hey, just go. You want to do that? Go do that. Hey, you want to go, like, paint the walls while mom's on here? Perfect, go. That's fine, great. Go do that. We think that's silliness but a flock needs a good strong leader. That's why in Matthew 9:36 Jesus said it said of Jesus when he saw the crowds he had compassion on them because they were like she- they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Woe to those churches who raise up shepherds who do not lead well. Ezekiel 34, 1 and 2 says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord. Shepherds of Israel, have you been feeding yourselves should the shepherds not feed the sheep? As we seek to bring pastors on board, we want to make sure that we have pastors who are leading and shepherding the flock. And at times that is going to cause you to think bad of us. Because we're going to come alongside and do the duty that we've been called to do. That could be attendance. That could be sin in your life. That could be something. We pray we do that humbly. But a church that does not have intentional pastoring does not have a church that has shepherding. I hope you see that. Second, I want you to see, as he tells us here, they're to oversee the flock of God. Did you notice that? Look at verse 2. He says, not only are you to shepherd, lead them spiritually, necessarily, but he says, be a overseer, Be an overseer. What does that mean? Well, let's get into that. What is the work of elders? It's to shepherd the flock of God. And how are elders to shepherd it? They're by exercising oversight. We are to be pastoral in your lives. We stand accountable before God one day, and we take this seriously because we have to give an account before God for every single one of you. You ever think about that? It's scary. Some of you have been sales reps before and you've had to give an account of your sales and the people or education teachers you know, like how's this student doing, how so? it's overwhelming. Imagine standing before the Lord of glory and giving account for everybody. But the, sh- the church must not confine the pastors just to the pulpit. We are to lead in ways that emphasize your spiritual growth, that emphasize you growing spiritually. We need to oversee the work of the church. That's why Hebrews thirteen seventeen, and again I, I I'll be completely honest with you, I feel awkward reading this. Because in our culture it seems like it's just you're just reading that to be that guy, but listen obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch, Hebrews thirteen seven, over your souls, as those who will have to give account. Let them do this work with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You know, the hardest work that we have as pastors is is dealing with disobedient sheep. You know, uh, well, well, they'll just find another church somewhere. No, that's not the answer most of the time. The answer most of the time is for most people to deal with the sin that is in in front of them and the sin that's in front of us, and that's hard work because people don't like to do that. Well, I'm a Christian. I do my thing with Jesus. You do your thing with Jesus. We come and sing a few songs, but, Pastor, don't you ever get in my spiritual business Friends, my, my, my job, according to the Scripture, is to get in your spiritual business, not domineeringly, not overwhelmingly, but as a humble servant would lead prayerfully to say, how are you doing with the Lord? And if that just makes you mad here in that very statement, then you do not understand what the Scripture is saying. Because elders are to lead and oversee the flock. They're to watch over your souls. Why would you trust a man if your soul, if you can't trust him with your money? I mean, some of us will trust more than our bank, trust more of our bankers than we will with our pastors, and that's a shame. A pastor is an overseer, and that overseeing goes into lots of spiritual ministries. I pray for a day here at Tower View where we are equipping people to lead in a way even deeper and wider than we are doing so well in so many places now. There's so much more to do, but that is the call of a pastor. And notice, well, that's number two, the, the duty of a pastor told you this feels awkward can you imagine getting up some of y'all the jobs you have and preaching about your job description wouldn't that just be a little weird but praise god this is not just any job this is what god has told us to do notice number three i'm gonna type my password in because i just got logged out praise the lord as it goes number three the practice of biblical eldership what does this mean Peter exhorts them now at the end of chapter 2. He tells them how to do this. He tells them what you're to do. You're to shepherd, you're to oversee. This is quick. There's a lot more detail here. But he tells them first off that now here's the practice of it. And in five succinct, you might call them couplets, Peter condemns unworthy leadership and models what is biblical leadership. Look back at the end of verse 2 and verse 3. He says, and, and not under compulsion, do this not under compulsion, like someone's putting a, a knife or a gun to you, But willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful game, but eagerly, not domineering, not doing a power trip, my words, over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. As a pastor, as we bring them on board, we should have, first off, a proper attitude towards responsibility. You see that there. Shepherd them not under compulsion, oversee them not under compulsion, but willingly as God would lead under compulsion means you do something by force. I mean, as parents, we do this more often than we know sometimes. We, you're going to go to church today. You know, you're, you're going to take out the trash, right? You've got to do these things sometimes. But Peter says to lead because you want to, not because you have to. There are a lot of parents that, that parent because they have to, not because they want to. Do you understand? There's a lot of pastors who collect paychecks because they have to, because they don't know what else to do with their lives, not because they want to. I pray you pray for that for us. I pray that you pray that our desire is not, oh, I've got to go preach a sermon. We get to preach a sermon. I get to be your pastor. Not because it's about me, but it's about that. A pastor cannot call you to carry a cross if he is not willing to carry his. I pray as we leave this church, as God leads us forward, that you see us as examples not to say, hey, He's awesome, but to say, hey, look at the awesome God that this, 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 this lowly worm gets to follow. What an amazing truth that is. So not under compulsion. So there's a responsibility. There's also, and I'm going through this quickly, there's also a proper attitude towards prosperity. Did you notice that? Move over, Joel Osteen, Benny Hinn, Joyce Meyer, uh, David Prince. Hear the word of the Lord. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock is what he says. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not shameful gain. Some of you have the King James. It says filthy lucre. Go around and say that five times fast. Filthy lucre, right? It says that Peter does not condemn gain in itself. Look, a pastor has to take care of his family, but he shouldn't do it to profit off the church. That's why you run from your prosperity teacher's church. You run from them. If they ask you for money so they can get another video room in their $3 million mansion, they're not shepherding the, 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 the saints. They're shepherding their bank account. Do you understand that? Run from them. Benny Hinn, Joyce Meyer, uh, David Prince, you name Most of those folks you see on Channel 16, KTAJV out of Channel uh, St. Joe are folks that fall under this thing. Be careful who you listen to. Galatians 6.6 6 says, Let the one who's taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. 1 Corinthians 9, In the same way the Lord has commanded those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But don't do it in a way that profits the church. You all have taken care of us as pastors so well, and we thank you for that. I mean that so much. You've taken care of our family. Thank you. We feel very blessed every time because you bless us every time. You give so faithfully. Thank you so much. But the use of money without aiming to the glory of God is what we call embezzlement. This goes for your personal checkbook. It goes for the church's checkbook paying pastors. We are called not to be lovers of money. We should eagerly serve with a ready mind. And if you take care of God's business, God's going to take care of you. Amen? And that's what we know. Thirdly, I want you to see that these elders or these pastors are to have responsibilities, they're to have prosperity, a a good attitude towards these, but also authority. Look at that at the end of verse 3 there. It says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. In other words, the pastor should not be a tyrant. The pastor should not get up and and direct things in such a way that is not given him by the bounds of, thus saith the Lord in Scripture, There was a man who did this. We talked about him three years ago in 3 John. His name was Diotrephes. And this is what it says in 3 John 9 and 10. It says, John writing, I've written to you about, to the church about Diotrephes. Who likes to put himself first. He likes to put himself first. Look, this is not what Peter is talking about. No pastor has a right to be Lord over the church. That is what the Bible says. No pastor has that right to act like he is Lord over over the church. Jesus Christ is Lord, amen? We believe that. There are some ways the Scripture gives us guidance to lead that it may seem like as pastors we're leading with an iron fist, but biblically it's what God has called us to do. There's a difference between what the Bible has said to do and what most people call leadership by pastors today. Do you see how this affects you? Many of you have come from these churches. You've been to a church before where it was Pastor so-and-so, and, and, and the, the, the toilet rolls didn't get changed unless Pastor so-and-so approved it to be Charmin or, or, or the other brand, you know? That's not what we're talking about. Leaders should be humble servants. They've been given spiritual authority. Elders are not ranchers who drive cattle, but shepherds who lead sheep. We must give direction up front, not orders from on high. We cannot lead where you don't go, and you cannot teach what you don't know. And faithful elders are effective by leading through this way. want you to see lastly, and we're getting close to the end here. Friends, I pray that you see this. This I, I know sitting as a congregation member, this may seem just like, when's he going to get done? Come on. You've got the big letters, the big numbers up here, Pastor. Come on. But do you see how important this is? This affects everything you do. This affects your family, parents. The way we leave this church affects how your kids view, live out, and share their faith in this church. Grandkids. This affects how we reach people for Jesus Christ. This affects where we put our budget. This affects everything. That's why it's so important. It's like if you wanted to build a house with no plumbing, and you try and turn on the faucet, you're like, man, there's no water coming out. Well, duh, you didn't put any plumbing in, man. Come on. This is basically what that is. But I want you to see the reward of what a faithful pastor of a church should be looking forward to. Look at verse 4. I told you earlier that chapter 4 of 1 Peter provides a a look at the the second coming of Christ and how we should live while we suffer. But notice verse 4. And Peter says, and when the chief shepherd appears, who is that church? Jesus, right? Yeah. When Jesus appears, you will receive the unfeigning crown of glory. In verse 2, Peter called him the shepherd. and in, in verse 4, he calls Christ the chief shepherd. We are under shepherds. We, are un, we answer to God before anyone or anything else. That's why Martin Luther at the great uh, Diet of Worms said that uh, here, you know, they, they charge him, uh, all these things about how he could not believe. And he said, look, I stand on the word of God. I can do no other. And that's what a pastor is called to do not on the wisdom of other men or women, not on the philosophy of the day or psychology. We stand on the word of God because we answer to the chief shepherd. And so do you, church. Individual church member, you stand before God someday. And praise God, if you're in Christ, that is not a judgment for heaven or hell, that's a judgment for rewards. But you stand before the chief shepherd, and we pray, don't we, that we all hear those famous words, well done, good and faithful servant. But the chief shepherd's coming back. It's not a guess of, is Jesus coming back? He is coming back. Praise God for that. What day, what hour, who knows? Don't go there. You're you're, you're like super unbiblical if you go there. But praise God he's coming back. Amen. Your motivation today to get through the seasons of life you are in is because Jesus died, he's buried, he rose again, and he's coming again. And he tells these pastors, look, you do these things because Christ is returning. When an athlete won an event, he was gained a medal. But the faithful shepherd will receive an unfeigning crown of glory. Look, we live for Christ's approval, not man's praise. We live for Christ's approval, not how many likes we get on Facebook. We live for lasting glory and not temporary gifts. There is a great song by Ron Roper. Many of you know this song. It's called uh, Only What You Can Do for Christ. And let me just read some lyrics from this. I think it proves the point well. It's an old song. It says, you may build great cathedrals, large and small. You may build skyscrapers, grand and tall. You may conquer all the failures of your past, but only what you do for Christ will last. You may seek earthly power and fame. The world might be impressed by your great name. Soon the glories of this life will be passed, but only what you do for Christ will last. That might be a good song we sing one of these days. Miss Tina, wink, wink, as we do. Yeah, we'll have to learn it first, but we'll get there. Praise the Lord. It's a great song. Church, that's why we do what we do. So let me ask this question. Amy, we're going to go as far as we can. The rest will go to email. So if this is what the Bible says. Why do why do pastors not lead in this way? Why? I, mean, I hope it's been clear from Scripture. This is what it teaches. There's more. But why? Amy, just bullet them up there if you want to, please. Ignorance. Quite frankly, you go through and you look up the references to pastor elders in the church. There's more references than you can ever care. It's pride. Well, if I'm the pastor and i got to share the leadership with other pastors, that ain't good because I'm not the CEO anymore. It's pride. And quite frankly, it's the fear of man. Well, what are they going to think? They've never done it this way before. This is what the Bible says. I know, Lord, but they've never done it this way. There's a fear of man, which Proverbs says is a snare leading unto death. So why do churches reject this? And, and again, we'll put this out of our email if you're taking notes. Ignorance. We don't teach it. Pastors don't teach it. Therefore, the church may not know it. It's belief that they already have pastors that are leading in this way, and that's not true. Or it's tradition. Well, we've only always had one pastor leading the church, and that's just the way it is. And if you change that, then you're going to be out the door sooner than you stepped in the door. It's also politics. Well, if we do this, then I lose my share of power. And if I lose my share of power, then then you, you can see this. That goes right into wrong motivations. And finally, unity is more important than being biblical. Let me speak to that for a second. Friends, we unify at this church around things the Bible tells us to unify around, right? Look, I love the Chiefs, God love them. This is like the third reference, right? <laughs> but I might be rooting for someone else this year. I love Missouri. Gail, I love you too, and you love K State, brother, and I see you back there. But I guarantee you, at the end of the day, Gail and I love Jesus Christ because the Bible tells us to love Jesus Christ, right? Some of you like some of you like muscle cars, some of you like those little bitty cars you can barely fit your foot into but we love each other. Those are super simple, superficial things. Friends, unity at the expense of being unbiblical just to maintain peace is not biblical unity. Biblical unity is biblical unity when we follow what the Bible says is biblical unity. I hope you see that. So what does this mean for us? It means something very much. So what authority do these pastor elders have? Well, Let me just put this up here. Amy, I'll give it a couple more minutes here for sake of time, but Elders are installed and removed by the congregation. You do that already, don't you? You call a pastor, and we have a personnel team, and Deb will be, Lord willing, after a special business meeting, 18 years, Deb, is that right? Serving us faithfully, we'll be transitioning out, giving her a break uh, from that position. Thank you for your faithfulness, so many years. But pastors are installed and removed at the will of the congregation. This is not a power trip. And the congregation should trust and follow their pastors in matters of spiritual discipleship. Please hear that clearly. There are times when you need to break from the ranks. If we are teaching heresy up here, you better say you're teaching heresy up here. But if everything we are saying is something that God has said in His Word, then it's not my words that are being spoken, it's God's words that are being spoken to you. Parents, you have that same authority in your home. If you tell your kids, obey your parents, because God tells them, obey the parents, that is what the Word of God says. They are bound to that, even if they reject that or, or rebel against that. And elders have matter and authority of counsel. What does that mean? That's an old phrase, but it basically means that that they, we lead by teaching the Word, and the Word has authority, and, 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 and in, a, in a Baptist church with multiple pastors leading, we teach you and hopefully persuade you by what the Bible says, not by our wills. We have authority by counsel, the counsel of God's word. But congregationally, we're congregationalists, we're Baptists. You have authority of command. Church, did you know, according to 1 Corinthians 5 and Galatians 1, you have the authority under God's word to determine what is good teaching and bad teaching? That when something comes before the church, the, the will of the people, so to speak, of uh, those congregated should reflect an understanding of what we teach and why we teach? So, as we go to hopefully prayerfully leading with multiple pastors, we teach the Word of God. We bring that counsel to the church. And the church, if it's following God's Word, should say yes, 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 yes every time. Not necessarily, because the pastors could be off, quite frankly. But if everything they say is grounded in God's Word and there's no biblical objection to that, those two should marry concepts together. Doesn't take away your right as a member. It actually elevates it to double check what the elders are taking, pastors are taking to you, making sure it's not garbage. They did this in the old days. You know, they had a taste tester and a food tester. You remember this? That if the king got a drink, they took it before someone else. So he's basically going to die if that's poison, right? They did that, and that's what kind of we do. It's not a House of Representatives and Senate. We're not, we're not an American government, but there's a sense in which the council that comes from pastors should be double-checked by the congregation, and the congregation should be double-checked by the pastors. Do you see that? And, Amy, we're just going to bolt these up as we close. So what does this look like? What does this mean for us? I have more detail than I have time for, but I want to end with this. This means that the preaching and teaching of God's Word should be primarily through the men of the church leading the church. We don't exercise oversight over uh, everything, but there should be oversight over the content of what's being taught in Sunday school. I praise God for faithful teachers here, but some churches, if you were to say, we're going to tell you what you have to teach, what is biblical, they would look back and say, well, it's my Sunday school class. That's not biblical either. And there's corporate worship. There's a sense in which, and, and this happens pretty much already, but we are finally responsible as pastors for what happens here on a Sunday morning. Look, I love, I, I, I'm i not a big Elvis fan, but I think it's pretty cool when guys get up and dance like Elvis and do that sort of thing. And All right, How are you doing? You know, and do one of those things. Well, that doesn't have a place on a Sunday morning. I'm sorry. Because we're not here to worship a guy who's dead. We're here to to worship a guy who rose, and his name is Jesus. Amen? And it also is accountability. This means for, for holding what we live out our lives. It means I'm not an expert in all areas, but there is accountability among other pastors to check and spot check each pastor. That's what wisdom's about. That where I'm deficient, I am not a great counselor. I, I fully admit that. This is what the Word says. I'll walk with you some. But, but, but Brother Nelson, who's serving interim, he is, he's gifted in that area. He just has the patience that I just don't at times. I'll be honest with you. That is biblical pastoring back and forth, leading a church it's balance. No one man has all the gifts necessary to do that. Super pastor. Peg's not here today, but if you're on the Facebook group, you saw super pastor last week. She put my face on Superman, which I was like, no, 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 no. And she was joking. It was all in good taste. But there's no super pastor. We must do it together as a church body. And there's burden sharing. This is why First Timothy 3 says it's a noble task to desire to be a pastor. But in doing so, it is a, it is a commitment not a -a once-a-month committee meeting. It is an all-day, everyday thing if it's done properly. And prevent the cult of personality. Guys, this is not the church of Darren Smith. Praise God. (laughs) Come to our house for a day and you'll see, like, yeah, I'm not sure this is (laughs) really what I want to be doing. But you know what? It's not the church of whoever fills this pulpit. Whoever fills this pulpit or leads as a pastor is an under-shepherd of Jesus, and if it ever gets away from that, you have every right as a church congregation to say that's not right. The only one we should be making even more and more famous, although he doesn't even need our praise, is Jesus Christ. It is not about us. It is all about him. So where does this leave us as a church? I pray that we consider these health of mark, marks of a healthy church as something that we look at and we go to. Friends, we have a lot of work to do. If you have questions about this, please don't hesitate. If you have concerns about this, please don't hesitate. We We want that feedback. But I pray many years down the road that this church is not led by a single man, but it's led by multiple men who are godly and God-centered, reaching the world for Jesus and growing the saints. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray as we put the plumbing in this morning, it's not, a, it's not a pretty sermon in a lot of ways. It's not hitting to life or grief or, or burdens perhaps that are faced in the congregation today. It's not speaking to every need perceived or otherwise in our midst. But, Father, it is a need to get this down. So, Father, I pray for our church today that you be with all those unspoken prayer requests, all those who are grieving today, all those who are doubting, all those who are having marital issues, all those who are who, who need to grow in the faith, who need to repent of sin, who need to just praise you for what you're doing. All the burdens that we bring is two verses down. Father, we do this humbly because we cast all our cares on you because you care for us because the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour Father, I pray for all the burdens in this church right now. You take those, they're yours, but there's also the burden of doing this up here right and all the pastoring right of this church. Father, let it be done well, let it be done better, let it be done best according to your things, sinful as we are. Father, may it be given much praise for your name's sake. Thank you for this, this dear church. We pray all these things today in Jesus' name and God's people said.